Hubhopper Originals. To start your podcast for free, log on to studio.hubhopper.com. This episode is sponsored by Blue Microphones. Head on to community.hubhopper.com to check out their amazing range of products. The Blue Microphone consists of the Blue Voice technology, which produces clear broadcast quality sound for podcasting and is compatible with both Mac and Windows. The Blue Microphone range is highly recommended for all podcasters. This episode is brought to you by Wishmaker, India's fastest growing online casino. Sign up on wishmaker.com slash podcast and start playing today. Hello and welcome back to Heart on My Sleeve. This is Mansha Kaur and you're listening to me on Hub Hopper. This week's guest needs no introduction. Malini Agarwal is a lot of things. She's a celebrity blogger, social media Jedi, authoress of To The Moon, founder of Miss Malini Entertainment, that's a positive-only media network dedicated to entertaining, connecting, and empowering young Indians. And most recently, she launched Malini's Girl Tribe, a community of and for amazing women who support, love, and learn from each other. And that's just scratching the surface of the amazing human being that is Malini Agarwal. In this episode, Malini shares ways to deal with bad phases with negativity, her take on girl friendships. She gives career advice and advice to female founders. But most importantly, she sheds light on mental health and the role that social media plays in all of it. This is probably one of my longest episodes, but... And I don't ever say this, it is worth every minute. So please make sure that you hear it through to the end. Without wasting any more time, here's Malini. How are you? How have you been? I'm good. Getting used to this new normal, I guess. What have some of the ups and downs been for you? I mean, I guess the down is that I really am a very social person. So I miss going out and seeing people. And usually my work life, no two days are alike. So I'd either be on shoot or doing meetings or in the office. And my office atmosphere is really fun. It's kind of like being in high school or college again. So I kind of miss that sort of frantic running around and seeing everyone. But at the same time, it's kind of been nice to be home and not have so much commute time and be able to work on my second book. So I think there's pros and cons. I'm just very lucky and happy that I have company. I'm, I live with my husband, Nashad, and my brother-in-law, Asif, and they're yeah. super master chefs. So I'm very, very lucky that <laughs> I have very good food to eat. Otherwise, I would be starving. Gotham's skills go as far as making a sandwich. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a large part of your work, and maybe not the process of your work, but like the end result of your work, it's online. There is no regard for time of day as far as anyone else is concerned. I'm sure you're flooded with notifications at any given moment. So how do you switch off? How do you end your day? So I, you know, I have a different theory on this. I don't really feel that it's necessary to switch off and have detox time from your phone because as soon as I do that, while I might have that couple of hours off, when I come back online, there will be an overwhelming amount to deal with. So the way I detox is on my phone, I'll play games, I'll go to Instagram accounts that are very nourishing or, you know, I'll, I'll read something or listen to a good podcast, but I will be available 
online because I like to just keep going through my notifications as they come. Having said that, I have a very big team now, so I'm very lucky that I don't have to see everything myself. We have a team of 65. They manage each of the handles themselves. I look into my own Malini Agarwal handles pretty much more. And of course, while we all contribute to all the handles, I don't really need to worry about every notification that comes in. I do spend a lot of time in Malini's Girl Tribe as a community, um, but I really enjoy doing that. It doesn't feel like work. So all of us go through phases when we're just having a hard time or we're just really overwhelmed and maybe we're in a funk of sorts. So when you find yourself in a phase like that, how do you get out of it or how do you deal with it? I mean, I think it's very important to feel all your feelings and not force yourself out of a funk sometimes. Sometimes you just got to feel it and ideally surround yourself with positive people. And I'm very lucky, like my husband, Nashad, very intuitive of when I'm feeling sad or happy and he'll make an extra effort to cheer me up in that case. And, and it's really sweet. And I think for me, a lot of it is talking to my friends, watching fun movies, anything that kind of gets your mind off of it. But I think that, you know, it's really not something that I push myself to get out of. I know that it's part of the normalcy because without the bitter, the sweet isn't as sweet. So, I mean, I just go through the normal process. I don't really have a strategy for it. Like you mentioned, you work with your husband, Nashad. So what's that like? It's really interesting because people ask me this question all the time. And it's a lot of fun. You know, I think gone are the days where people feel like husbands and wives can't work together. Because as entrepreneurs, when you run a business together, you feel very passionately about it. And it's not like one of us is the boss and the other is the employee. We're partners. So as a result, we really understand what we're going through. We're stressing about the same things at the same time. So it doesn't feel like, you know, you never have that issue that why were you working late? You're not spending enough time on me. We're doing it alongside. So you spend a lot of time together. Having said that, you have to learn how to adjust. You have to make those compromises because you do spend a lot of time together. And you have to be careful not to always bring work home or bring home a work argument or take a personal argument to the office. I'm not saying we always succeed at that, but I think we do pretty well. Um, But it's really fun. I really enjoy working with him. He's very talented. He's very inspiring. And he really does navigate the business in the right direction so I can do the creative stuff. Nashad and my other business partner, Mike Melly. So the three of us, I think, have a very family-esque relationship. That's amazing because, well, little known fact, two years into Hubhopper, I actually tried working with Gotham and that lasted about a little under three weeks. Really? What what was the problem? Work Gotham is a very scary guy. Really? (laughs) My deepest sympathies for all of the people who work at Hubhopper because I was just really scared. (laughs) I was just like, there's no way I can work at Hubhopper. I would never imagine that from my interaction with him. He seems quite chilled out, but I guess, yeah, everyone has to be. I'm pretty sure I'm kind of scary at the office too. I make the joke, the devil wears Prada, editor once in a while. Yeah. So coming to friendships, like you mentioned, you know, when you're going through a stressful phase, you reach out to your friends. In your experience, have girl friendships sometimes been a little tricky? See, I've been very lucky. I've got really nice girlfriends and they've always been super supportive. I think what happens is with girls, there's a lot of patriarchy and conditioning that we're supposed to be in competition with each other when we don't really have to be. You know, I, I was speaking to Rega Ja, the ex-editor of BuzzFeed, and she had a really great analogy where she said, women sort of function in the green room of the world where we go adjust each other's bra strap, or to fix each other's lipstick, and then go out into the world and sometimes pretend that we don't like each other. I feel like I've always had a really good relationship. I do feel though sometimes, I don't know whether this is specific to women, but in my experience, I feel sometimes you 
outgrow or grow in different directions with friends. And then sometimes you don't resonate or have that much in common anymore. So I have experienced that probably to some degree more with my girlfriends than with my guy friends. But I think it's also because I had a closer bond with the girls. So it was more obvious to me. But I think that it really depends. I think it comes a lot from personal insecurities and confidence. And I'm sure there are times where I was insecure or jealous of other girls. And maybe it also was the same way back. But as you grow up, I feel you're much more comfortable in your own skin. And then it's much easier to not uh, be threatened by even your friends. Yeah. And, and when you do sort of grow apart, I think sometimes what happens is that one person is not ready to accept the fact that that friendship is kind of, you know, run its course, at least for the time being, if not for a longer duration. So how do you do that in a way that's respectful to the equation that you had in the past? I mean, I feel it's very difficult. I feel like, you know, they say all things end badly or they wouldn't end. Uh, But I think that the person who is less emotionally invested has to be more sensitive to the fact that the other person feels this way. I think sometimes rather than have to spell it out, actions speak louder than words and you end up spending less time together and have less time. And hopefully the other person sort of gets that and builds a life. But there are instances where you don't see that and, you know, you'll feel this constant anxiety of that person demanding something from you that you're not willing to give. So I think over time, people just move on. I think it takes time to heal any of these relationships. It's not always healing from romantic relationships. They're from friendships as well. I don't think there's any formula to it. I don't know if you can sit down with someone and say, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. I don't think it's possible to do that. I think it's over time, enough distance gets formed and people move on. Thing that I want to talk to you about the most, mental health is finally something that's getting acknowledged, at least in India, where it's been a taboo for so long. And partially it's thanks to a lot of the public figures or celebrities that have shared their stories. So, you know, people look up to all of them. In their minds, they've accepted that this is something that happens. But that being said, do you think that mental health and and the degree of issues that people face right now, do you think that was always prevalent and always the case? Or do you think that Gen Z and millennials struggle with this stuff more? I think there's an interesting combination of this. I think that we now have much more terminology for mental health. So you'll hear a lot of millennials talking about toxic environments or anxiety, which we didn't earlier. I'm sure we all had that. But I also feel there's been a bit of a shift on what we focused on. Not to say I probably didn't have any, but I wasn't really aware of the concept of it. So when I look back, I don't really feel like I had a lot of anxiety about things. But I read this amazing book called The Celestine Prophecy. And it had this really interesting theory about social consciousness and how the human race is becoming more and more aware of itself. And as a result, anxiety is growing because even though we're becoming more humane, despite all the war and you know things yeah. that are there, as a race, we are becoming more aware of ourselves. And that causes anxiety because you suddenly start wondering, what am I here for? What am I worth? What is my purpose? And you have that little epiphany about yourself. So I think that's causing some anxiety because people don't know what it's all about. And right now I was researching for my book and I was thinking about how, you know, we're the right now generation, this millennials, the generation after me is all about Insta love, Insta food, Insta ride, all of that. But there's no such thing as Insta job satisfaction. So I think there's anxiety from expecting or having grown up thinking that way. Simon Sinek has a really great talk. It's called how millennials are inherently unhirable. 
But he explains that's also because they've been set up that way by their parents to be like, you can do anything, you can be anything. And there weren't really any reality checks preparing them for the fact that the world is not set up to give you everything instantly or let you be entitled in the process. So I think it's a combination of both things. I think that it's really, it's also case by case. There are, and I don't want to minimize it at all. There are some cases of depression or being bipolar or suicidal, which I think are a little beyond just basic mental health anxiety issues, which I think are much more deeply entrenched or might come from some personal trauma, which I don't think are, you know, things that you can control. And I'm sure they really existed at all times. They just went undiagnosed or untreated. So now you definitely see more of it. People are willing to address it. People still don't really understand when someone says, I'm depressed, they might say, okay, get over it. But I think people are becoming a little more sensitive to that as well. So I think it's a combination of being more aware of yourself, being more aware. It's the same thing, right? When you go from a world of being cavemen where your focus was so entrenched in getting food. I don't know if they had time to be anxious or be aware of their anxiety. They probably thought it was something else. So I don't really know the answer. I don't know for sure if there was less. It was definitely less talked about. And maybe it was different kinds of mental health issues. Because right now we're also dealing with a much larger world, the internet, social media, bullying. We didn't have those kinds of mental health triggers back then. And that gets me to what you just said. So what sort of role do you think social media has played in all of this? And how do you think we can all of us in our individual capacities sort of work towards fostering a safer and less toxic environment. How do you think we can do that? So I'm actually writing my second book on literally this topic. And, uh, you know, I feel the one thing missing for us is that we never were taught how to behave online. You know, we're taught how to drive a car. I did a whole TED talk on this. We were taught everything, how to eat, sleep, behave, but we were never set up to understand. We were just given the keys and said, drive without any lessons. And I think that's been very difficult for everyone. So I think we have an opportunity now to fix that for the next generation. And all of us as parents of the next generation will understand the perils and what was right, what was wrong. Even things like the right time to get sex education before your children are exposed to pornography, where they get all their information. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we experimented with, and I've seen great success, is something called Malini's Girl Tribe on Facebook. The conversations are mind-blowing. And I realized that it's that women really needed a safe space where you're not constantly afraid of negativity and trolling. And I thought it was really interesting how in the group, people behave as they would in real life. And in other social media, it's completely fine to behave in any sort of way because we don't treat it the same way. And we don't treat other people on regular social media as human beings. They're numbers of likes and numbers of followers. So I think the first thing and a simple rule to follow is before you comment, before you do something or you take some action online, Try to flip it and say, okay, if this was a real life situation, would I behave the same way? Would I butt into somebody's conversation uninvited? Would I yell at someone like they do in all caps when I don't agree with them? Would I be so confrontational? Would I be so sensitive and defensive? Would I express racism, hate, bigotry, you know, gender inequality the way that I do without fear of repercussion because I can hide behind a fake name? Some don't even hide behind a fake name. So I think that's the key. I think it feels daunting. It feels like a lot to handle. The small things we can do is follow a simple rule. Don't write anything you can't say to somebody's face. Very simple. It's a very easy check for yourself the next time. 
And I think it's important that especially in a case for women, men need to join this conversation. They are the role models for other men. And I'm slowly seeing them do that. But talk about things, address them. When you see someone harassing someone, call them out and say, that's not okay. When you know that your friends are commenting, even in a group, like you have the boys locker room, someone should stand up and say, I'm not okay with this. Don't just go along with it. So these are little things. I think you can also combat, I always say kill them with kindness because you can flood a situation with positivity and flip it around. So even in the girl tribe, if on the very rare occasion, someone doesn't agree with something, you have to explain calmly that if you don't agree with someone, agree to respectfully disagree, but there's no way they're going to see your point of view if you attack them Yeah. because they'll be in defense mode. You have to try to get into their mind and say, okay, they feel a certain way. How do I get them to emotionally connect with me so they will see my point of view? And that's a lot of work. It takes a lot of unpacking of various things that we deal with. But I think it's possible to do. And there's small steps. One, if we all checked ourselves, if everybody started checking what they're putting out there, it would change so much of it immediately. You know, I'm not saying don't put up pictures of breakfast. I do it. But um, at the same time, spend some time creating positivity, responding to it. No, I'm not saying holier than thou. I don't face it. I feel anxiety if I don't get as many likes or as many followers. But I made myself a rule that when I log in and I feel that feeling, I have to stop and go to somebody else's profile and leave a comment or engage or like or share because I will combat that negative feeling with a positive action. That's really beautiful. I think you put it really well. Wow. That really resonated with me. Thanks for sharing that. I'm glad. Has social media ever, in a big way, sort of impacted your mental well-being? Definitely. I mean, I think I live online and, you know, people always joke around about how I'm always on my phone, but I've made a commitment to spend as much time in the virtual world as in real life. I wouldn't disappear from real life for a week on end. I don't virtually as well. I'm sure it's had an impact. I'm sure it's made me a little more anxious, a little less social sometimes. We all have a little ADD, but we have a shorter attention span. But I don't really focus on that so much. I think social media has given me a lot, given me my career for one, and a lot of friendships and a way to connect. I mean, a great example right now is with all of us stuck at home without the pandemic, what would we have done without the internet, without Zoom chats, without social media? So it it does have, I think, um, a lot of qualities if we are just able to make a few tweaks to use it better. Yeah. I'm sure you feel strapped for time often. So are there any creative ways that you figured out to manage your time? Get an amazing assistant. Yansha is mine and she's absolutely epic. I love you. She is incredible. Use a Google calendar. That really helps. I have a rule. If it's not in the calendar, it's just not going to happen because it spaces things out. Give yourself breathing room before things. There was a time I used to pack my day back to back, meeting, 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 shoot, shoot, shoot. Give yourself at least half an hour in between. I now carry around a lot of mixed nuts, dry fruit to snack on in between. These little things really help. Even if you're getting on your phone to look at your personal social media, it gives you that little breather. I'm not very good at time management. I like to pack in a lot, but I try to then limit how much time I'll spend on something and prioritize. And you know, people always say tackle the big things first. I don't agree. I think if you have a list of 10 things and some are simple, knock those off first. It'll be very satisfying that your list is down to half. That's true. So we were talking about feeling overwhelmed and sometimes being surrounded by negativity on the internet and even in real life. So what are some of the ways, you know, like when you are feeling that way, how do you find your center again? Or how do you put a lid on that negativity? 
I feel now the great thing is people are very empathetic and resonate with emotion and sharing. So if I'm feeling a particularly low day, I write about it on my social media and say, I'm feeling a bit bummed, could use some love. And you tend to get quite a flood of it too. If someone is being just mean and attacking, I think you have to step away sometimes and not engage. It's not that easy. You feel the need to go back and reread it and reread it. But then you have to tell yourself, why am I focusing on this? It comes from some personal insecurity. I say this a lot, but my therapist actually gave me this great advice. She said, you should always approach the world with a shield of empathy and kindness. And it's not necessarily for other people. It's for yourself. Because if you use a shield of empathy and kindness, you will try to understand what someone else is going through and realize that their anger towards you or their lashing out has nothing to do with you. It's something they're going through and their internal turmoil, which is pretty 99.9% what trolls are made of. So as long as you separate yourself from it, because if you try to put logic to it, it never makes sense. That why is this person being this way? You'll spend so much time justifying that I'm not like this. Why did they say that? But if you take away the fact that it's not about you and it's about them, then you feel less pain. That's your shield of empathy and kindness. That really resonates with me because I actually did a full episode on how insecurities are loud, but at the same time, how to not take other people's insecurities personally. I don't know who I was speaking to about this and she said something great. She said, all women carry around this voice on their shoulder, this little voice that says, you can't do it, you don't look good, you look fat, whatever. You have to separate that voice and imagine that that's a roommate in your head, this insecure, clingy roommate. And whenever you walk out the door, leave that behind saying, that's a roommate. I live with this person, but that's not me. Yeah, that's really good advice. I think all of us inadvertently, we don't even know that we're doing it. But the second you feel sure about something, it just almost rears its ugly head to other people. It's exactly what it is. And which is really unfortunate because like you said, a lot of us, start with good intentions and then our own fears and shortcomings get in the way and we end up behaving a certain way and we may even regret it later on. But I think a lot of it is us worrying so much about what other people think of us and not realizing they're so busy yeah. worrying about what other people think about them. They're not really thinking about us that much. Yeah, no, that's true. Because even when you put up a post, you're just thinking that, oh my God, did I write the right thing or did I put up the right picture or like, you know, are people coming back to read this? But nobody's doing that, right? They, they've literally spent maybe a microsecond on the post on uh, or maybe a few seconds at best and then they moved on to their own stuff and they're thinking about the same things with their life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, there are a lot of aspiring Indian female entrepreneurs and then there are women who may not be entrepreneurs but they want to really excel in their field. What are the two pieces of advice that you can give to them? Wow, there's a lot of advice I can give to them. I think one of the biggest things again comes down to this is don't doubt yourself. Even when I started, I don't have a business degree so I always thought of myself as a creative person and somewhere in my mind I think it's just social conditioning to be like women don't do business well, it's a man's world. But you can trust yourself to make your choices, make your mistakes, say things in front. And I realized I would be in a boardroom full of men. And it was my assumption that they're judging me, that they don't take me seriously. They were fine. It was me convincing myself that I can't do it or I don't know enough. So trust yourself. That's my biggest piece of advice. One. And I think the other one is, which I'm very bad at doing, is 
have process in place. As a business, it's so important because you have something in your mind, you can picture it, you know how you want it done. But unless you stop and put down the steps and how it should be done, nobody else is going to see exactly what you see. And I'm saying this from the space of being very bad at it. And I still struggle with it because I think of something and I want to do it right away. I don't want to think about it. And because so many times when I've done that, it's been successful. I'm convinced that that's the way to yeah. go. But I, I think you have to strike a balance between trusting your instinct and then using a process to execute it. Actually, the first point, it's really interesting because my last episode is to be with um, Mahek Sagar, the founder of Let Me Good. And she said something similar as well. She was like, we second guess ourselves so much. As so much. Women, like we're always thinking about, oh no, it's not the right time. Or like we keep convincing ourselves how, you know, we don't know enough yet or we haven't done enough yet to take the plunge or do something. But actually, you just have to start and you have to take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. Still continuing with this theme, there are phases in any business or whatever work that you're doing when you just feel really alone, especially when you're an entrepreneur, it becomes really lonely at points. And also the persistence portion of it, something that's spoken about so much, it becomes really hard and it becomes really taxing. So how does one build that strength and fortitude to stay at it and in those moments not quit? I think it's a combination of really believing in what you do, loving what you do. And some of it is also set goals. You are responsible. You might have investors. So even on days where you're like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. You have to power through. And, you know, uh, Nasha told me something really interesting because I always used to tell people, find your passion, follow your passion, and you'll never work a day in your life. But it's interesting because a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that and then they have days where they don't enjoy what they do and they think, oh, well, maybe this is not my passion. But passion is something that you do or want to do and achieve even on the days that you don't love it because you can see beyond that. So I think it's important to put yourself in that mind space. There will be days that you hate it. There'll be days that you want to give up on it. You'll fantasize about selling everything and moving to Goa. I'm sure every (laughs) entrepreneur has thought about that at some point. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it's, It's a combination of one. I think we focus a lot about one day I will achieve this. Stop and think sometimes about what would your 18-year-old self or even your five years ago self say about what you've achieved now. And spend some time congratulating yourself on having gotten here because that person that many years ago would have killed to be in this point where you are now. And I think, you know, we've got it so wrong. We've spent so much time in the hustle, the rat race, who's going to make money, who's going to get this education, who's going to flex their fancy cars on Instagram. But that's not what it's about. And I think this pandemic has been a great eye opener, this pause button that, hey, we don't know what the future holds. So all you have is now. So who are you right now? What are you worth right now? And I have to say a lot of people are quite satisfied with the answer they're getting because they were so busy worried about who they're going to be that they forgot who they are. That is really beautiful. That's so true, right? Because like you said, even for me, there's so many times when you're just, you're so caught up in the hustle of things and you're just, you're thinking about how I'm not meeting this goal and that goal and this is going on. Absolutely. This young kid has done this and what am I doing? 
And yeah, but this lockdown, I think, while obviously it's been very, very, very hard on well, the people who were firstly suffering yeah. and, and who got it, but also businesses everywhere, I think regardless of what business you're in, you're taking a hit. But as people, it's definitely put life into perspective. And the other day I was telling Gautam, my favorite part of the lockdown has been that it's a popular saying that can you spend time with yourself and love the company that you keep? I think the first 20 days, probably all of us were struggling with that question. Maybe not overtly, but as far as our subconscious goes. But eventually, we've had to find those parts of ourselves as we're now hitting two months. So we've had to find those parts of ourselves that we do love and that do make us feel happy and good about ourselves. And I think regardless of who it is and where they were before the lockdown, all of us in a big or small way have found at least a part of ourselves within ourselves that we do appreciate and we do value. That's for me has been amazing. Um, Absolutely. I think that uh, aside from even stopping and spending time with yourself, and I'm really bad at that. I'm one of those people who can't travel alone because if I travel and I see a beautiful sunset, I want to be like, hey, can you see that beautiful <laughs> sunset? You know, I need someone around. But I, I think what I've become much more comfortable about in this time is just the pause that I can stop running for a second because everybody is stopped. It really helps. You know, sometimes when you're in a race and you just wish everyone would just stop yeah. at the same time yeah. for a minute while I catch my breath. It's literally that feeling. I want to talk to you about your girl tribe. Uh, so we touched upon that, but I know you started it in 2018. And from what I understand, it's been an amazing success. And I'm on it. So I see how much people so freely share. And you also have hundreds of people who actually come out and share their own stories back to the people who are struggling and and are raw in front of these people that they don't even know. So it's really beautiful what you created. So I want you to tell us me and my listeners, a little more about what it is that Girl Tribe is today and where are you taking it? So Girl Tribe is a community for women. I made it specifically only women because I found that men and women don't play well together, at least in India online. And to, if you ask any woman, you know, and you know this yourself, your DMs are filled with so much junk. Yeah. So even if you want to use the internet in a productive way to network, to connect with people or even have fun, you have to constantly wade through this barrage of negativity or random messaging or trolling or, you know, stalking even. And you're not able to really use it well. And I think that social media was created to be able to connect on a scale that's not otherwise humanly possible. I can have 5,000 friends on Facebook and WhatsApp and talk to them at different times. I can't keep that up in real life. And I think it's amazing to be able to create a community where there are women from over 100 countries and girl tribe, all ages, and they resonate with each other. Yeah. And that's why I didn't make the group specifically about business or moms or, you know, mm-hmm. teens. I kept it open because I don't like this concept of women's issues. I don't know what a women's issue is. Everything yeah. is, right? It's not just rape and menstruation. It's um, entrepreneurship and mental health and relationships and shopping and beauty and everything, right? Because you don't call anything men's issues, right? Everything is a woman's issue. Yeah. and. So I wanted to create a space where we can talk about all of that. So you'll hear people talking about where do I buy a Kanjivaram sari to a beauty hack, to mental health, to domestic violence, to all of that. And we wanted to do things that are useful. So right now we've created a thread about working from home and a lot of women are helping each other find jobs that they can do from home. 
since they have a lot of soft skills that they can use. Wow. We do something called the Girl Boss Spotlight where you can come and talk about your business. And now because it's the pandemic, we've been able to adapt and we used to do a lot of physical events. Now we're doing them virtually. And it's great because I can now dial in women from Bahrain and Jaipur and they can all be on this chat. And because our relationships with celebrities are strong, we're trying to marry them together. So we did a really fun virtual cocktail hour with Rahul Khanna. Mm-hmm. Gore Khan did a happy hour. We're now doing some food blogger masterclasses for people who want to learn how to create content from home. So the sky's the limit really about being able to create so much interesting content and create a community for women. And I love that the first thing I do in the morning is not go to Instagram. I go to the Girl Tribe Facebook group and we're actually going to be launching our own app soon because a lot of people don't use Facebook anymore. If they log in, they have too many notifications that they don't want to see. And it's amazing because even though there's so many messages that come in and we have moderators who decide what goes where and what goes in the main feed. No one to this day has complained that they're getting too many notifications from Girl Tribe. And instead of, you know, in other social media, you see one heart or one comment or someone promoting themselves. You'll see long paragraphs and paragraphs where someone has taken the time and the mind space to really respond to somebody. Like you said, you know, it's incredible. And people can also ask questions anonymously. Sometimes it's easier to ask a stranger a question that you can't bring up with your family. There have been girls who asked how can they come out of the closet? You know, we've had some fantastic conversations about things you couldn't, whether it's from abortion to divorce and things that you couldn't be comfortable talking about. And, you know, everything from how to deal with acne, body shaming, how to treat frizzy hair. Because I think people are done just looking at other people live excellent lives. They want to live an excellent life. They want to feel great about themselves, you know. And everybody wants that. Everybody wants to feel extraordinary. And I say this all the time, so I'm going to repeat it here because I think you'll get it. There's a line from a movie that I love. It's a movie called Shall We Dance? It's not a great movie, but I love this quote that says, there are 7 billion people on the planet. So what does one life really mean? So in a marriage or a friendship or any kind of relationship, I'm saying I'm going to be there for the good, the bad, the ugly, for the mundane. Your life will not go unnoticed because I will notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will be your witness. And what else is social media? Someone doing a double tap, a like, a share, or commenting. They're saying, I see you. I see you in this sea of people. Because people came online thinking, oh my God, I can now connect with 3 million people. This is going to be amazing. And no one replied to them. So they ended up feeling even lonelier. And what I'm most proud of in Girl Tribe is that normally you go online on social media, influencers or celebrities will get thousands of comments. Uh, but here, it's not about being a celebrity or an influencer. Everybody is a star. Everybody gets hundreds of comments. And I love that. So much of what you've said is just, it's so inspiring. And at the same time, it's so relatable and it's so comforting. And if somebody wants to join the Girl Tribe, how do they do that? It's really simple. Right now it's a Facebook group. You just search for Malini's Girl Tribe on Facebook. We also on Instagram, Malini's Girl Tribe. And we will be launching an app soon. So stay tuned. What I genuinely want to create and what I've always said is my three rules, which I'm going to be putting in my book and my TED talk were, okay, like I said, don't write anything you can't say to somebody's face. The second one is spark joy. I'm sure you've seen this Mary Kondo show about cleaning up. She says, spark joy, hold on to the things that you love. But you can also give out those things. The things that you're offering other people should also spark joy. And the third one is remember that followers are people too. If you can unsee the number and see the person, you'll behave so differently. You'll humanize them. And I love that, that in Girl Tribe, I don't see numbers. We don't worry about likes. I don't even notice that. The comments, the engagement, I see each person's picture. And so many times people will share a photo 
of something that they're doing. People will post videos of themselves singing. There's no rules here. It's just come and be yourself. You don't need to be somebody's mother, daughter, boss, sister. You're just you. And that's a really good feeling. You've really created something amazing. And while well, you mentioned your book throughout this episode, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what you have in store for everyone? So I'm, I'm trying to finish writing it before the lockdown opens because otherwise I'll have to stay in lockdown while everybody's out. <laughs> yeah. hey, I've been thinking about this a lot. My first book was my journey and, and yeah. how to build a digital brand. And this one's kind of, I guess, a little more grown up in the sense of I've made a lot of realizations over the years about social media, about brand building and what we are here for. And I think that it's really important that we have some kind of guidebook. So maybe slightly tongue in cheek, but I guess like a, a little bit of a textbook on how to be good on social media and not from the perspective of good at it and getting millions of followers, but a good person and being someone who's the right influence for the next generation. We always talk about influencers, but we are all influencers. You influence your circle of friends and family every day with the things that you say, the things that you post, and you probably have larger impact on them than probably an influencer does. And it's so important to think about what you're putting out there. And I remember reading this quote, actually is a show, I think I called The Great American Meme on Netflix. And Paris Hilton, who actually is like the first influencer, just wasn't called that. She said, you know, I've been pretending to be 20 years old for the last two decades because you get trapped in this moment of time that you're supposed to be. And which is why I think I separated my Miss Malini handle from Malini Agarwal because I want to grow and become who I am and not be trapped in this bubble of people because we built such a strong brand as a Bollywood website that people still think that's what I do. And I don't really do that at all. That's one leg of our business. So I think it's just really, really important to talk about these things. And so the book is going to be about that. It has a lot of understanding and anecdotes about the difference between the different generations. I'm 42. So I'm the micro generation between millennials and baby boomers, the ones who still went to a library to look something up before Google. But I understand the millennials who always had it. So I think the biggest difference in my research has been is that we were never given that masterclass of how to behave in a virtual society that we so quickly created for each other. I'm super excited. I can't wait to read your book when you're done with it. Thank you. Uh, so I'm going to end this with one last question. So with your girl tribe, obviously you created this platform, you're making an app and you have given so much by creating the structure and like creating the safe place for all of the people who are a part of it. But what are the three things that your girl type has taught you? Wow, what a great question. I have to say you're very good at doing this. It's interesting (laughs) and engaging and you're asking things people don't normally ask and you have very great energy. So I want to tell you that. I think the things the girl type has taught me, one is that people are so willing and open to give other people advice. I did not expect that. I did not expect people to drop everything and write paragraphs and paragraphs. So it's taught me that it's out there. This selfless giving of love and attention exists. It's just a matter of how to harness it correctly because maybe they didn't have anywhere to give it earlier. So I'm very happy about that. I think the other thing that it's taught me is how easy it is to misinterpret words without the correct punctuation or a misplaced emoji. And how we have become so conditioned online to be very defensive or attacking or assume that someone is attacking us, even if they didn't mean it that way. So I'm learning how to teach people how to unlearn that fear, which is quite a process. And the other thing I learned is that we've always thought that girls function in a silo where 
teens girls will only get along with teen girls and older women only get along with older women or you have to be all english speaking or vernacular or that they don't mix well i have seen in girl tribe that it's not true i have seen women who are 16 to 80 my mom's 80 and she's like the girl tribe mascot do um interact really well together and it's great because there's a lot of wisdom to be gained from women who are in their 40s and 50s and there's a lot a fun interaction to be harnessed from the younger crowd and i've seen that happen because we've done a lot of physical events and the age group has been so varied but it didn't feel that way everybody was very inclusive because i think at the end of the day women have this great eq and ability to connect immediately i think it's also because it's okay for us to show our emotion and be open about it where guys are told to be a little more restricted and if you're too emotional or you cry or act too friendly then you're not manly enough which yeah. is unfortunate because patriarchy has treated men as badly as women to some degree. And so I think it's really taught me that women given the right opportunity can really connect. And you know Manja it's so simple you don't need to do much. People walk around around each other and ignore each other because they're uncomfortable making that first effort. But at Girl Tribe all I have to do is introduce people and say Manja this is Anjali and they will start a conversation and they will leave as best friends in a lot of situations. and literally that's all it takes and i think it comes from this fear that you're going to be judged so i've also set myself a new rule you know when i like something or i see something very often we'll all think it as girls like oh i love her eyeshadow i love her bag but we'll never say it and why because we're worried that somebody will judge us it's awkward but what bad can come of it if you do say it for a second they'll wonder why you said it and then they'll feel happy and imagine this girl who went and bought this bag will go home thinking i'm so glad i bought this bag because people don't shop for any other reason than to feel good about themselves to express themselves to impress other people maybe and you'll have made that crazy split second amazon purchase worth it with that <laughs> one sentence you yeah. know so i think that women are the most equipped to start embracing this and the girl tribe has taught me that they do i really 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 urge all of you listening to this episode to definitely join in it's a really positive happy world of its own i'm sure you'll all uh, feel malini's positivity radiating just by being a part of it and i had such a great time talking to you i had a great time this is a really nice conversation a really nice meaningful one after a long time i keep joking with the girl tribe that one day we're going to start our own country because we have doctors lawyers you know influencers moms we can literally we have everything we need in the tribe so thank you malini for wearing your heart on your sleeve and stay safe and see you soon absolutely i'll see you very soon thanks so much Bye. for having me and with that we come to an end of this wonderful episode I think I speak for all of us when I say that Malini is every bit as warm, perceptive and amazing as she seems online. I'm not even going to ask you to follow her because I'm sure you already do. But do make sure to join her girl tribe via Facebook and Instagram. On both, it's simply Malini's girl tribe. That's it. And as a member who's been on it for about 2 years, I can vouch for how safe and inclusive a space it is for all women. To stay tuned to all the future guests behind the scenes footage and more inspiring personal growth content, you can follow Heart in My Sleeve official on Instagram or check out my website heartinmysleeve.in. Do reach out and let me know what you want covered in the future episodes. Next week's guest is Dr. Anjali Huda. She covers all your health, weight and fitness queries. In addition to that, she tells you how to improve your immunity given the pandemic. 
So make sure to click on the subscribe button and the bell icon so that you don't miss that episode. See you next week. Bye. इस हब हॉपर ओरिजिनल को सुनने के लिए आपका शुक्रिया अगर आप भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करना चाहते हैं तो हब हॉपर स्टूडियो वेबसाइट पे रजिस्टर करें और एक मिनट के अंदर अंदर अपना खुद का पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करें यही नहीं स्टूडियो देता है आपको पूरी आजादी कहीं भी कभी भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करने की सिर्फ तीन आसान स्टेप्स में तो साथ में अपना पॉडकास्ट शुरू करने के लिए तैयार जस्ट हॉप ऑन हब हॉपर सिंपली कॉन्टेंट